0: This morning, our scripture passage comes from John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. The text for the scripture will be on the slide. But also, if you want to open your Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 897. That's 897 of the Pew Bibles. All right, I'm going to read the passage. yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this she said to him yes lord i believe that you are the christ the son of god who is coming to the world may god bless the reading of his word now i'd like to invite pastor jeff up to preach this morning
1: Morning. Happy Easter. So good to see all of you. Today is a good day. Not just because it's Sunday and we get to worship together and see each other. Not just because it's the start of April vacation for a lot of you and you guys have a whole week of no school ahead of you. and You guys are probably in a great mood. Now today is a good day also because we are celebrating the groundbreaking history-making, paradigm-shifting, life-changing miracle. That is Jesus being raised from the dead, defeating sin, and conquering death for all of us. We are rejoicing in the fact that the truth, the good news, not fake news, that the tomb was empty. This is what Easter is about, Right? The, that Jesus died, was buried, and he was raised again. That he was resurrected. It's, it's about this beautiful display of perfect sacrificial love that sent the blameless and innocent Son of God to die a horrible death on the cross, wearing a crown of thorns, so that we, you and I, could wear a crown of life as sons and daughters of God. I mean, this is the gospel, right? That it's, it's a gospel of surprises, of reversals, of, of upending our expectations of how salvation ought to work. That Jesus would come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That God would take this horrific, horrible instrument of death, the cross, and turn it into an instrument of salvation for the world. And so this morning, uh, we are uh, going to be rewinding back half a book, a couple chapters in the Gospel of John to John chapter 11. This middle of the book, this turning point in John's narrative, where we read not uh, exactly directly about Jesus' resurrection, about, but about the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And in this account, what we're going to see, I think, is we're going to see Jesus' love on display. It's going to surprise us, I think. It's maybe even going to upend our understanding, to some extent, of Jesus' love. And it's going to give color and substance to the very thing we are celebrating today, the Easter event, Jesus' own death and resurrection. And so I invite you now to continue to turn with me to in your Bibles to John chapter 11. So if you don't have a Bible, maybe you don't have a, a Bible app you need to save on your data, that's okay. There, there's a pew Bible in, in front of you or maybe in, in the row ahead of you, and you can turn to page 897. Now, Natalie, uh, our presider, only read for us a portion of today's scripture, just a couple. Ten verses or so, but we're actually going to be covering the first fifty-three verses of this chapter. And over the course of these fifty-something verses, we're going to see three movements that carry the narrative forward, that causes these events to unfold and build off one of uh, on one another. And in each of these three movements, Jesus' love is being put forth for us to see. So the first movement, verses 1 to 16. I'm actually going to read the first six verses for us just so that we can set the context and see see what's going on. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So this first movement that we see in this narrative is that Jesus doesn't move. Jesus stays put. Jesus delays his start. Strange. He hears that his beloved friend, Lazarus, is deathly ill on his deathbed. And upon hearing this sad news, His response is he chooses to stay two days longer in the place where he was. And John's gospel is very intentional about wanting us to see that Jesus lingers out of love for Lazarus. So Jesus leaves later, and he does it out of love. And that's a a surprise, right? Right? Who does that sort of thing? Now, how, how is that love? We, we might question that, right? Does, does Jesus really love Mary and Martha and Lazarus? You know, imagine, imagine if you can, that you find out some, some news that is urgent and important. And maybe the news is maybe a little bit more joyful than it is sorrowful. You find out that your spouse is going into labor. Can you imagine saying to your wife, Love you, honey. I'll see you at the hospital in a couple days. Can you imagine your husband telling you that? You'll text them back, don't bother coming at all. (laughs) Even now, being part of this church, when we hear that one of our own has contracted COVID or is sick, we spring into action. That's what we do, right? And so the first words out of our mouth is How are you doing? What do you need? When can we drop off food? Or we just drop off food because we love each other. We care for one another. We go. And so there is this dissonance between how we might experience and demonstrate love and this picture of love in John's gospel, of Jesus' love, which is quite strange. Right? He, he loves Lazarus, and so therefore he lingers. He stays put. He leaves later. But again, I think that John is telling us that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That is without question. And Jesus gives the response that that we read earlier. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And it's framed on both ends in verses 3 and 5. Jesus loves his friend. Jesus loves Lazarus. And and so his love for Lazarus and his sisters means that he delays his start. And then what happens? The narrative, narrative continues. By the time Jesus arrives, we find that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Now, if Jesus left immediately, Lazarus still would have already been dead, but just not as not dead for as long. Now you see, back then they didn't have the sort of doctors today to pronounce a, a declare a person dead. They didn't have those monitors to to see uh, if uh, if a person's heartbeat is you know slowing down, and and so a person might might be so near death that their heartbeat is so. Slow and faint, that their breathing is so shallow you can't even detect it. And so there's reports back then of people being carried to the grave when suddenly they're scratching at the casket, because they, they're resuscitated. They're trying to get out. And then, and then this leads to some early Jewish theories or beliefs among some of those people that uh, they reasoned the soul would then hover around the body trying to, to reenter it. But as soon as the appearance changes, that it is when decomposition starts to set in. Just like what Martha says later on in this chapter about the odor of the a, of a decaying body. Right Then the soul departs. Now I'm not saying that We should buy into that theory, or that Jesus buys into this theory, but he he knows what the people around him might be thinking. And so he waits. He waits so that when he uh, eventually raises Lazarus from the dead, he does it with such certainty that there can be no skepticism, no cynicism with respect to this miracle. That if people are going to reject this, they're not going to reject the sign. They're going to reject the person who performs that sign. It's it's not unlike Jesus' own death and resurrection when we're talking about this idea of timing and waiting. But I think rather than have me explain that portion, I I have a video here that I think might might do a better job. So let's play that. Jesus loves you by showing you himself. He wants us to behold him and then to believe in him. And this is why he says in verse 15, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. This is the call to each and every one of us here this morning on this Easter Sunday to behold Jesus and to believe in him. Maybe that, for some of you, means to renew your faith, to double down on your commitment to him because he is the resurrection and the life. Or or maybe for some of you it means to, to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, to say, I am a sinner and you alone, God, are the one who can offer me grace and salvation, who can bring me out of darkness into light. And maybe whether one or the other, it is because we see Jesus. Jesus loves us, and so he wants us to behold him, to believe in him, to see him. So, this first movement, right? Jesus delays his start. Second movement, Then Jesus displays his sovereignty. Verses 17 to 44, this middle chunk of this chapter. And so the narrative continues. What we find here is that Jesus arrives in Bethany, where where Lazarus is. Lazarus has been uh, in the tomb already, buried already for four days. But the people are still mourning. They're weeping. Mary and Martha are there. In the midst of these exchanges, Jesus is pointing all of them to himself. He's directing them to himself. And so this is what we said read earlier, verses 25 to 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the answer. He's the solution. He's the source. He's not making this ontological claim where he's saying that he is the resurrection, but what he means is that apart from him, There is no resurrection. There is no life. It is so closely tied to him that he can make such a statement as, I am the resurrection and the life. And so this exchange that we see with Martha, it's not necessarily anything heretical that that she's saying. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha Somewhat in her ignorance, says to, her, says to him, You know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so Martha, as a Jewish person, is giving these pretty orthodox answers. Many Jews back then believed that there is, just like we do, that there is a resurrection at the end of time. And she's pointing to that, that future event, as her hope in the midst of her grief. And pain. And yeah, that is a good thing. But there's more. There's more that she's missing. And so this is what D.A. Carson, he's this uh, gospel John scholar, he writes this: Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Just as he not only gives the bread of from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, so also he not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. And let me put it this way there are some people today that are, are so associated with a thing that we might say, or they might say, that they are that thing, and it would make complete sense. So if, if G- Steve Jobs were still here today and he says, you know, I am Apple, or if Robert Downey Jr. says, I am Iron Man, or Colonel Sanders says, I am KFC, you know, we might all be like, yeah, you are, that there is no Apple without Steve Jobs, there is no Iron Man without RDJ, and there's no KFC without Colonel Sanders and his mustache, and his finger looking good, chicken. And there is no resurrection and life without Jesus Christ. And so the question that Jesus poses to Martha is the same question posed to us this morning Do you believe this? Are you putting your trust in the person of Jesus and not just the events? Surrounding Jesus. Because Christianity is not about knowing the commandments or knowing other Christians. It's about knowing Christ. In John 11, Jesus is about to make himself known. He's about to display his sovereignty. You know, show exactly what it means that like This is what it means that he's the resurrection and the life, that he, is, he has power over death. He's about to show his love, the love that led him to leave later, the love that would lead him to, to raise Lazarus from the dead, all so that people might see him and believe. Not put their faith in the miracle, but put their faith in the miracle worker. And what we find, actually, are three occurrences of misunderstanding leading up to it. Three occurrences that these people around Jesus actually don't quite get Jesus and his love. Maybe some of us would resonate with these people. So what we find is that Martha, Mary, and the mourners misunderstand Three groups. Misunderstanding, it's a huge theme in the Gospel of John. If you had time on your own, you could read through this Gospel. You you might be able to pick up as more and more people uh, in this Gospel, they don't quite grasp yet what Jesus is saying. Jesus speaks on one level and his hearers hear him on another. And John uses this motif of misunderstanding. To highlight how we can move from ignorance to knowledge. From from unbelief to belief. From religion to a relationship. And so twice here, what we find is that both sisters, uh, Martha and Mary, they say the exact same thing. Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. Which again is probably completely true. If he was there, he could just heal Lazarus. But it's, they're missing the point that Jesus wants them to see. Or Even later on, Martha is objecting to Jesus, trying to remove the, the stone from the tomb so that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. Because she says, Lord, isn't there going to be a stench, an odor? His body has been decaying decomposing for days now she doesn't quite get that jesus as the resurrection and life is about to raise her brother from the dead to life And it's not just mary and martha that misunderstand there's these whole group of mourners around them you see back then it was it was customary for for families to to hire professional mourners at, at funeral services. And, and so even a, a poor family, they would have to hire like two flutists and a, a professional wailing woman. It was just a thing, right? And, and Lazarus' family is incredibly wealthy. And so they wouldn't have just two flutists and, and one wailing woman. They'd have a whole group. And that's what we see. There's a whole group that basically follows Mary around. And along the way, they're crying and weeping and wailing loudly, shedding tears of despair to mourn and to grieve. And the two things that John notes that they say here, verses 36 to 37, the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And I believe that both here are examples of misunderstanding. One, one group is misunderstanding Jesus' love. that Jesus, they see Jesus weeping and presume that He is weeping tears of despair, like the tears they themselves are shedding. And the other misunderstands Jesus' power. They have a faith that rests more on Jesus' signs than on Jesus himself. And in the midst of all these three examples of misunderstanding, Mary, Martha, and the mourners, there's this famous verse that a lot of us know. John 11, 35. Jesus wept. Which is technically not the shortest verse in the Bible, which is another surprise, but you can ask me about that later. We have to ask why did Jesus weep? Why was Jesus shedding tears? What does it have to do with this second movement of Jesus displaying his sovereignty? What does it have to do with this whole chapter that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Now, Some might say that, well, he's, he's weeping because his beloved friend Lazarus whom he loves is dead. Others might say, well, you mean that he's weeping for the friend for whom Jesus decided to delay his departure so that Lazarus could be in the tomb longer. You mean he, he's, he's weeping for the friend whose, whose death, uh, the friend whose death Jesus is mourning over, even though he's about to raise him from the dead in a few moments. You know, Mary and Martha don't know that. The mourners don't know that, but Jesus does. And so why why would Jesus weep tears of despair like of those around him when he's about to reverse the death in a matter of minutes? And so there's this emotional response that we see from Jesus in this very short verse. But surrounding this verse is another emotional response from Jesus. Two verses 33 and 38, when when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come up with her also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in in his spirit and greatly troubled. And after after the mourners say, you know, see how he loved him and, and couldn't he have kept this man from dying, it says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb And this word, deeply moved, really means outrage, indignation. Jesus is angry. He is troubled and disturbed. And and so I think what John is showing us here, through his gospel, is that Jesus is angry. And he weeps over the unbelief of these people. His heart is breaking because these people around him do not see that he is the resurrection and the life. They do not see that he loves them by showing them himself, by pointing to himself. He is angry Because unbelief and suspicion and misunderstanding are the very things that are keeping these people, keeping us, from seeing the glory of Christ in our pain and in our suffering. And so Christ experiences these two emotions that we hold in tension. Outrage and grief. Again, Carson writes, grief And compassion without outrage shrinks to mere sentiment. While outrage without grief hardens into self-righteous, hot-tempered arrogance. Jesus has both. Because he cares very much that we actually see him as our hope. As the resurrection and the life. To behold him and to believe. And he proves that to be true through the raising of Lazarus. And so death doesn't have the final word, not with Jesus. Jesus displays his sovereignty over life by raising Lazarus from the dead. And so just with a loud voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come out! This man who had died came out. His hand and his feet, you can imagine, are still bound with linen strips His body and his faith are still covered with the very things he he was buried in. And he's he's coming out maybe kind of like a mummy, walking, tearing off these linen uh, cloths. And he comes out of the tomb very much alive, having gone into it very much dead. And this sets the stage then for our last movement the last way in which we see Jesus loving us. Not that, just that he loves us by showing us himself. But he, he delays his start so that he can display his sovereignty. And then this starts a plot. Which ends up with Jesus. He's going to die as a substitute. <clears throat> when, when Jesus performed this miracle... Some believed Jesus, but some also betrayed him. They went to the Jewish leaders, and what happens is this miracle of the death and resurrection of Lazarus would, would set the path leading to his own death and resurrection. Now notice, like as we look into these last few verses, these Jewish leaders aren't disputing what Jesus did. They actually believe in these miracles in the sense that they believe that they happened. That actually is what worries them. But they don't believe in him. And that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid that the people will believe in him. And it will result in political demise, the fall of Jerusalem. And so for the Jewish leaders, plotting his death was politically expedient. But as it turns out, it was also spiritually salvific. You see, the Jewish leaders had their plan, but God had his plans too. Jesus was to die as a substitute, one man for the people, one man instead of the nation. But God has his plans. And it says in verses 51 and 52, he did not say this, that's Caiaphas, a high priest, he did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. We're saying about this this morning. This is why we're gathered, to celebrate. Jesus took our place on the cross. Your place. He gave his life so that we could have life. And we can have hope in this life and we can have hope for eternal life, not because of rules and rituals, not because of our own righteousness, but because of our righteous Redeemer. And this Jesus, who is the perfect example of love, and not just an example, but the one who loves us, loves you, died for you. So, whatever darkness that you're in this morning, this season, whatever despair that you are feeling, look to Jesus. Look to his love. Be reminded, encouraged by his love displayed for us on the cross and in the empty grave. And as he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we give thanks to you on this Easter Sunday for the good news of Jesus Christ. For he came to die on the cross for our sins, that we might be cleansed, that we might have new life, that we might have a relationship with you that we might experience true freedom, freedom from our brokenness, freedom from our sin, from our addictions, from our struggles, from our despair, and have hope in you. We give thanks to you for your goodness, and your loving kindness shown to us.
0: In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.